Well, if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you there um, under the seat somewhere in front of you, a little black uh, books are the Bibles. You'll find this on page 461 of those church Bibles. Psalm 30, of course, the words will also be on the screen. We're going to get right into the text um, here. The title of this morning's message is, He Turns Mourning Into Dancing. He Turns Mourning Into Dancing. And I suppose you could say that all of life is lived somewhere between mourning and dancing. And from dancing back to mourning, somewhere along, uh, along that trail, the ups and downs and the highs and lows, we find ourselves at any given time, and he turns mourning into dancing. And so let's look at Psalm 30 together, and if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of God from Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, as always, we thank you for the truth and the life that we find in your written word. And God, it is true that we, we always seem to be on a path that leads from mourning to dancing and back to a season of mourning before the dancing is to come again. But God, we find great comfort in knowing that joy comes in the morning. And so Lord, we open this and open our ears today with the, the firm expectation that you have something to say to us, not just abstractly, but personally and in a very real way today. Lord, you know every need on every heart today and what needs to be spoken to minister to that need. And so we open ourselves for you to do just that. So Lord, would you speak your word by your spirit through your servant 
to your people for your glory and our good always. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, Psalm 30 is a psalm of thanksgiving. And according to the title, it was written to be sung at the dedication of the temple. Or the Hebrew literally says, the house. If you have the New American Standard Bible, then uh, your, the, the title in your Bible says, the dedication of the house, I believe. But it could, it could refer either to God's house or David's palace. But regardless, it's, it's a song that doesn't right away seem to fit the dedication of any house because it's not about a house in any way. It's about a very personal testimony of affliction that God delivered a person out of in a very personal way. And so when the people of God come together for such a ceremony, whatever, whatever house was being dedicated. Part of the point was, uh, right out of the gate, before you even get to the first word of the actual psalm, that, that here we have um, worship to a God, not just that we have been told about, not just about a God that somebody long, long ago wrote, in, wrote about having an experience with, but one who's active now and who David the psalmist had testimony of, of how he had shown himself mighty on his behalf, not just somebody else's. And it's sort of put together here in a, a, a kind of as a sandwich of thanksgiving and praise um, with, with, with affliction in the middle of it, okay? And so the way it's structured is uh, there's in verses one through five, thankfulness for rescue. Uh, in verses 6 through 10, a flashback to affliction and folly. And then in verses 11 and 12, a return to celebration. And so I'm going to sort of let that outline frame the message this morning for us. And we'll look first of all at just this expression of thankfulness for rescue in verses 1 to 5. You'll notice in verses 1 through 3, David recounts five things that God has done. Five things that God has done for him. In verse one, he says, you have drawn me up and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. That word for drawn me up is like drawing water out of a well. And that's particularly vivid imagery of grace, I think, if you stop and think about it, because uh, neither the water in the well or anything that falls into the well can get itself out of the well. Right? I mean, the, if, you, if, you're, if your child fell into the well, which is a horrifying thought, but that, that, or if you fell into the well, I mean, there's, there's, your child probably stands a better chance of climbing out of than you or I do uh, when we think of it that way. But if you fall into a well, there, you, you can't do anything to lift yourself up, up out of it. You have to be drawn up as the water is drawn up from a well. So that's the imagery um, given to us there. And then in verses two and three, he says of God, you have healed me, you've brought up my soul from shale, and you have restored me to life from those who go down to the pit. And so it seems to point here what David is thanking God and celebrating about 
What was a source of weeping that's now a source of joy, what was a source of mourning that's now a source uh, of dancing, is that he was healed from a disease that should have killed him. That seems to be what's being described there because he said, he, you know, he's, he's essentially knocking on the door of death and, and God um, has brought him, restored him to life from those who go down to the pit. In other words, other people in the same circumstance die from it. But Lord, you restored me to life. Nothing that made him different from the others who go down to the pit except for that he received the grace and the mercy of God. So it's all together a description of a helpless person being rescued. And, and, and over and over and over in scripture, we, we get that sort of imagery and language that when God saves us, he does it utterly. He doesn't just pay the balance of what we owe as if we came up a little bit short. You know, like you go to the cash register and, the, and, and you know, the total is whatever and you reach in your pocket and oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm 50 cents short. And somebody behind you says, oh, I got it. Thank you, you know, or thank you, I'll pay you back. Okay, God doesn't just cover the little bit that we came up short. We come up all the way short. As if we don't have anything to offer for payment at all, or we offer payment in in the wrong currency. You know, like U.S. dollars in a foreign market or something. When we bring our righteousness to God as payment for our unrighteousness, as payment for our sin. We attempt to pay for that and somehow to, to assuage the guilt of that by, by our righteousness. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. What are you doing presenting that for payment? Put that away. Okay, so th- these are the kind of reminders here. that he saves us, that he rescues us utterly. And so it follows, doesn't it? For those, those who remember, remember that. Because it's true of every believer. But easy for every believer to forget. Or easy for it to grow dull in the memory of every believer. But for everybody who remembers and understands they've been rescued, the proper response, as we see in verses 4 and 5, is to sing praises to the Lord and give thanks to his holy name. Because we've been reassured once again that our trouble and sorrow are not forever. There's some people who need to hear that today, that your trouble and your sorrow are not forever. Look at what verse 5 says. His anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. There's not just hope for eternity. There's not just hope in eternity. There's hope for tomorrow. And I certainly can't make any promises to anybody that it is tomorrow literally as in when you wake up Monday morning. But we have reason based on the goodness and the character of God and his faithfulness to demonstrate that goodness over and over to his people. That we, that we have reason to have confidence that there's a very present help in times of trouble, as Psalm 46 tells us. And that joy comes with the morning. 
We hope in him. I want to read this excerpt from an article written by a woman named Vanitha uh, Risner, freelance writer um, who, who writes online in a, in a variety of capacities, but she is also lives with um, physical disability that just uh, creates for her a life of, of suffering. And she says this, earlier this year, my arms completely gave out as I was getting ready. I couldn't even get dressed by myself. I was exhausted and it wasn't even nine in the morning. I suffer from post-polio syndrome and I'm never sure when some new pain is a daily setback or the new normal. I didn't want to go on like this. What was this day going to hold? I cried out to the Lord telling him that all of this felt colossally unfair. I ended by declaring, I can't, I, I can't live like this for the rest of my life. I just can't do it. I felt frustrated and angry and overwhelmed all at the same time. And I realized that might sound deeply unspiritual, but that's how I felt. I couldn't imagine living the rest of my life with those physical struggles. And after my lament, I was quiet. I had said all I wanted to say, and then I waited. I'm not sure if I was expecting a response from God, but I knew I needed to be still and listen. In the silence, the following words came to my mind. I'm not asking you, to live like this for the rest of your life. I'm just asking you to live like this today. It felt like God was speaking to me. Immediately an unmistakable sense of peace settled over me. My situation was unchanged, but I, but I felt strangely different. Today was a finite period that I could focus on. Today seemed doable. Today was much less frightening than the rest of my life. Coping with anything today seemed possible. Possible, that is, with God. I'd say, sort of parenthetically, she goes on to say that, that, that this uh, sort of moment in her prayer, what she sensed the Lord was saying to her, then she explored the scriptures to say, does the scripture affirm this? Uh, and the rest of the article really writes about that and sort of puts that together um, and, and one of the verses that she references is Psalm 30, verse 5 there, to say, joy comes in the morning. That we don't have to fret today as if whatever it is we face is forever. We just have to face it with God today, with the hope in him and the expectation even that joy comes in the morning and, and that a different kind of morning will be turned to dancing. And so we ought to recall the times, recall the times as David is doing here, where he drew us up out of a deep place that we could not get ourselves out of. I mean, that is a profitable exercise to do periodically, just to actually pause and remember the things that he has done and write them down put them right in front of yourself and share those stories with other people and thank God for it, for being your rescuer. You know, some of those times when you look back on them, those circumstances might not even seem like a big deal now because of how he's grown you and strengthened you in your relationship since then. But you remember at the time, it was a really big deal. It was about to crush you and he delivered you from that. We recall those, we share those stories and thank God for being our rescue. Number two, we see here 
a flashback to affliction and folly, um, I've said here in verses 6 through 10. So prior to his rescue, it says David had cried out to the Lord, and he recalls then what, what brought him to that place of this weeping uh, that's turned to joy and the mourning that's turned to dancing. And verses 6 and 7 describe a tendency that's so common to believers. I love, uh, I love these verses. I love verses like this in the psalm. I keep saying this kind of thing. It's one of the reasons I wanted to, to have a series going through the Psalms because it's just so raw and just so human. And here again, um, we, 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 we see a tendency described that's, that's true of just about every believer, I suppose. And that is, um, well, let me, let's, let's look at verses six and seven first. As for me, I said, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. Our lips are just glossed with praise and confidence when circumstances are good. Okay, when business is thriving, when we're enjoying our work, when the bank account balances are strong, there's peace in the home, everybody's healthy, our lips are just glossed with praise and confidence. And we rightly attribute those to God's favor. I mean, we're absolutely right to do that. To say, God has blessed me. He set his favor upon me. I'm thankful for um, all of this that I'm experiencing. But our confidence often becomes overconfidence, doesn't it? In fact, really underlying it, there's a sense of complacency. Uh, very often underlying it, there's a sense our confidence is actually rooted in the good circumstances rather than the God who provided them to us. And that can be revealed to us uh, in a moment. But maybe we just silently say what David actually says. I, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. We might not even consciously think that. But, you know, that God has just delivered me to this high place of my new normal. And I get to live up here on the mountain all the rest of my days. Thank you, Lord. But notice how quickly things turn in the second part of verse 7. You hid your face. I was dismayed. I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. You hid your face. I was dismayed. Now that, I think we, we all, if you have walked with the Lord for any length of time, in fact, I'd say in, a, in maybe a different way, uh, even people who don't walk with the Lord have had an experience like that. Everything feels right and we feel really secure when things are good and we can turn from uh, rejoicing to dismayed in an instant. If I'm full of praise and assurance when things are going well, circumstances change for the worse, I don't sense God's presence or his favor, and I just drop into a canyon of despair. Instantaneously almost. I always picture, I may have even used this analogy before, but I always picture one of those amusement park rides where you know, the people get on this, they get seated on this thing, and then they're raised up to the top of this tower. And then it just drops. And they pay for that. 
for some reason. I, I don't know why, but anyway, but in other words, we're, that, that, we're, that we're sort of living on this high place you know, spiritually and circumstantially or whatever, and then, and then the bottom just drops out of it. I go from I shall never be moved to I'm dismayed in an instant. And so brought to that kind of place, David cries out to the Lord. And, he, and, and as with so many of the other Psalms, he discloses this very human dimension of himself and ours in the prayer that follows, that is. Because he's not only gone from rejoicing to dismayed, but as he goes to prayer, uh, notice that he begins his prayer in verse nine by suggesting God is not thinking about the situation properly. Look there at what it says in verse nine. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? This is the way he begins praying with God. He's basically saying, Lord, don't do anything rash here. Let's think about this. You have nothing to gain by my death. And in fact, on top of that, you're going to lose a worshiper. You got everything to lose and nothing to gain in this. That's really what he's saying, right? In other words, there's this, this kind of bargaining element uh, to his prayer. He's in negotiation mode with God. And however that might be, that, that is actually approached and phrased in a whole variety of ways. Um, but what they, what they have in common, and it's common again, really to, to, to most of us, to basically imply in some way that God would be better off restoring our fortunes or that for some other reason, God ought not to refrain from restoring our fortunes, that it would be unjust for him to do it, uh, that somehow he's going to be better off if he restores our fortunes. And so prayers like, Father, my, my business is in distress I stand to lose a lot of money here. You know all the good I could do for the kingdom with that money. Lord, restore my fortunes. Your kingdom's better off. Or God, if you let me live, I'll volunteer at the soup kitchen. I'll be a better father to my children. And that, you know what? And there are really very, very earnest prayers of that sort. Uh, made. I'm really not even uh, suggesting that altogether that's out of place because part of what those circumstances do is put all of our life in the right perspective so that when we come out of it, the way we respond to his deliverance is with a different life of some sort. There can be a lot of good to come out of that. But however else we might spend things, what they have in common is we, we suggest that we have something to offer something to contribute. The reason that he ought to uh, restore good fortune to us is because there's something we have to contribute. And it's only when our heart moves from verse 9 to verse 10 that we begin to pray rightly. And look there at this simple twofold request. And if you, if you just, 
if you go back and just unpack what's happening there in the psalm, there's this quick summary of this human experience from delight to dismay to this bargaining prayer to verse 10, the surrendered prayer, which is really where he wants to bring us. Look at, look at the twofold prayer in verse 10. Be merciful to me and be my helper. Lord, be merciful to me and be my helper. Be merciful to me on what basis? Just his mercy, just his character, just his sovereign grace toward me on no other basis. Lord, be merciful to me and be my helper. That prayer right there is, is worth memorizing, honestly. That, that when, when, when brought to a point of just utter despair and we don't even know what to pray, Lord, be merciful to me and be my helper. And for our heart to lead our lips there is even better. Because I'm at this place where I, I, I acknowledge there's nothing I bring to the resolution of this situation and that there's, there's no inherent reason why God needs to do good toward me. I can't fix the mess that I'm in and I can't provide any justification why he ought to. Lord, be merciful to me and be my helper. Be gracious to me, Lord, and help me do what I can't do. And so the implication here in the way this psalm unfolds is that that is the prayer that is followed by his healing and deliverance from death. Because the, the way he opens the psalm is he's thanking God for this past experience who brought him up from among those, who restored his life from among those who go down to the pit when he was sick and about to die. And he was in this dismayed, despairing place where he cries out to God and he's brought to this place of prayer that says, be merciful to me and be my helper. And what follows presumably is his deliverance. And certainly what follows in the text is this, uh, verse 11 and 12, a return to celebration. So I've said well, the, 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 the text is structured as this uh, thankfulness, uh, for his rescue, uh, this, this flashback to affliction and folly, and then third, a return to celebration, the theme that, start, that began the psalm in the first place. Verses 11 and 12 say, you've turned my mourning, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, sackcloth, as many of you know, was a coarse cloth uh, made of goat's hair and used primarily for tough, durable sacks, hence the name sack cloth. Um, and we might think of it as being something like burlap, just this tough, durable uh, kind of sack. You might put potatoes or peanuts or something like that in. But the cloth was also used to make garments worn by people in mourning. And you can imagine how uncomfortable it would be you know, itchy and irritating 
and how restless you would feel in it. A feeling that's sort of commensurate with uh, that season of mourning. That you feel restless in your despair and that you want to be delivered out of it. That, that you, you are never at peace as long as you're there. And it's, it's sort of like fasting and your stomach growling all the time because you haven't eaten and you're reminded you've got something to pray about. If you're wearing sackcloth, there's just this constancy of this reminder of, of this restlessness you feel there. And David describes his deliverance there as having his sackcloth loosed and being clothed with a garment of gladness, that that is what God did for him, who was merciful and was his helper as his mourning has been turned to dancing. And, and you and I may not have gone from mourning to dancing literally, in any of those seasons past, maybe some of them have been very recent, where God has brought you from a, from a low place, from a deep place of need and delivered you out of it. And maybe we didn't literally dance, but you, you probably can recall uh, those times when you were in great need and he delivered you and you felt like a weight had been lifted off of you. That you, that you, just, you just walked somehow lighter on your feet. That, that there was even a heaviness lifted from your face so that a smile returns uh, where a downcast appearance had just dwelled for some period of time, had made itself at home there. And suddenly when God rescues you from that, that heaviness is just replaced with the sort of airy lightness of joy and rejoicing. Well, like other Thanksgiving Psalms, this one calls us to a response because as I said, everybody's living somewhere along that continuum at any given time. Somewhere between mourning or dancing or, or, or sliding uh, back from dancing into mourning. But we see that there's this sequence here that we want to register in our, in our thinking um, to locate ourselves on that continuum because we, we, we saw this sequence, this, a pretty common sequence that David outlines here that we go from, from a place of just dismay. We get there a lot of times suddenly, right? Like I said, the bottom can just fall out of circumstances and our whole sense of self along with it. We just drop into it. We, we can be in, from dismay to bargaining, I've called it. This negotiating prayer in some way. It's where we're trying to get our bearings in some sense and going, God, what are you doing? What's going on here? Lord, don't do this. Don't let this happen to me. From dismay to bargaining to surrendered prayer. Lord, be merciful to me and be my helper. And then forth to this place of rescue, which again, we don't, we don't get ourselves there. We're just brought to it. But the call this morning is gonna be for each of us to respond to this word in light of 
wherever we are along this continuum. And so I'm going to uh, ask Tommy and others, whoever's joining him, to come up um, to close us out with a song. And uh, I want us, as we're singing this song, for it, for it to be an occasion for us to respond to the Lord individually based on where we are on this journey, where our heart really is. I mean, there may be some people um, who just within uh, recent, in the last few days, whatever has taken a turn, it might be something circumstantial, it might just be something inside of you. But maybe literally this morning woke up in dismay. Maybe yesterday or the day before. But something has taken a hard turn in the wrong direction. And others, maybe it's been not so immediately recently, but, but still in that place of, of even figuring out how to pray and really pleading with God is in, in this sort of negotiating kind of bargaining way. Or others maybe already surrendered in their prayers, but what we but what we want to open ourselves to is for the Lord to move us from where we wherever we are there toward the next milestone on that path. That He would bring us to the place of such total surrender that as long as He's with us in it. We have a real diminished concern about whatever it is we're encountering ourselves. And even that we get by his help, right? That God be merciful to me and be my helper. Help me even to get to a place where I can pray rightly. And so as as we sing this song, um, some may be, in, on that high place that, that, that God has just has just poured out his favor toward you and, and your mouth is glossed with praise and so let's just pray let's extol the name of the Lord that is praise enthusiastically because we have every reason to do that if we're in that place Thank him and praise him for all of our hearts and let, our, let this song sound like people who have that testimony. And there may be others that while the song is playing, you just want to quietly go before the Lord in prayer, maybe right where you are or maybe even down front here. In fact, I'll ask some of our uh, ministry um, staff if there are uh, any, any available uh, to be available for prayer, some of our elders perhaps. There may be even some, you literally are uh, sick and at least looking at the possibility of death because of it. I don't know what people's circumstances are, but you, you may have the unction that you need to come and allow somebody to pray for you crying out to God, be merciful and be my helper. Whatever your need is, whatever your response needs to be, um, let's do that as we sing together and just allow the Lord to work in us. Would you stand as we sing? Elders and staff, you come forward to be available for prayer.
treasures of our God and King. Lift up your voice and hear us sing. Oh, praise Him. Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden As others linger here at the front in prayer, uh, we'll conclude um, quietly. If you yourself need to remain here just in an attitude of prayer, we certainly invite you to do that. Um, we'll have those available up front to intercede with you. But would you receive today the benediction, the blessing from the Lord as we go and remain standing for the singing of the doxology. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.